Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Tandal Chitlu Podcast. And today, <clears throat> we have a shit ton of people lined up. Um, let me just go through the list one by one. We have Myra, Rishman, Lee, Lily, and Poran. Everyone say hi. 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 Hello. Hi. <laughs> that was a big fucking mess. Anyway, today, the first thing that I want to talk about, and I don't give a shit what everyone else is thinking of talking about, is drinking. Because I have Poran with me here. Now, for those of you who don't know, Poran, give us an introduction. Hi, I'm Poran. I'm German. That's why he loves me, because we are all drinking <laughs> over here. <laughs> So true. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm Paran. I'm a student. I'm studying information management, corporate communications, and writing my bachelor thesis right now. Yeah, no, I was I was just about to say, ironically, uh, Irish people like German people apparently. Out yeah. of, like the Europeans, like I know that you definitely know this, but like Europeans, they have like this thing where they like specific Europeans, like Germans like another specific european and they fucking hate another specific european am i right oh yeah and almost everybody hates the french yes yes oh my god if, if tibo is listening to this but tibo listen you're fucking hated in the whole fucking continent okay your life is meaningless you amount to nothing Okay, that, that was too harsh. But anyways. I mean to be fair he is a French person who keeps talking about how great France is. Okay. As a country, so, as an empire, it's, it's kind of overwhelming. Yeah, he's on that shit. Anyways, I want to talk about the drinking culture and compare the Irish one to the German one. Because I know some German people as well who live here and they can drink. Yes, that is true. But not as yes. much as the Irish. I think the Irish are just overboard when it comes to drinking, right? And they don't even realize it. So, Poran, tell me, how is a normal night out? Uh, like, how does it go and how does it end? Okay, it, it starts that we're either drinking at home or drinking in a bar. And we, we sit down and sit there. Like, we, we start at 7 p.m. or something and sit there until 1 or 2, depending on how fun it is. So, in that time, we drink around 8 to 9 liters of beer. Pints, and you mean? Or... No, no, we, we have like bottles, one liter bottles of beer oh, that really? we're drinking out of. Oh, so yes. do, you, do you not use like pint glasses and they pour the pint, pour the beer into the pint and then they give it to you? Or No, port beer is very like kind of uncommon here. Everybody drinks directly from the, from the glasses, from the bottles. And it's one liter? Yes, one liter, what? one bottle. <laughs> one liter bottle of beer? Holy shit. <laughs> What? Yes. Oh okay. wait. Wait. Am I? Am I? Wait. I can. I can take my beer real quick. I'm. I'm not sure. Is it, is it one liter or half a liter? Oh God, he has a bottle like right next to him. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not next to me on my balcony. Honestly, at this okay. point, Keisha's just having the time of his life finding someone who's like a better drinker than he is. <laughs> no, wait. That's unheard of. One liter bottles of what the fuck? Jesus Christ! I can't even imagine drinking that much. Okay, sorry, I'm stupid. It's half a liter and oh. one bottle. Oh, thank really for the livers. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, Amen God, to that. Yes. Speaking of livers, I mean, at this point, I don't think this episode was supposed to be about drinking, considering I don't think the rest of us have that much experience in that field. Are you? No, no. We have a, we have a very devout Muslim here. Her name's Lily. Uh, she doesn't even go near 10 meters near a bottle of alcohol. 
What is alcohol? What I have no alcohol? idea. <laughs> I hear it's a substance that makes people happy. At least it's what I get from like the people I hang out with. I don't think it's like that. For me, it's I think I can have just as much fun around drunk people without alcohol. I can with because I end up just forgetting the night if I get too wasted. You see, isn't that just like the dick in the party? Like Quran, I know you can agree with me. Like when everyone else is just having a good time and drinking, and there's just this one bastard who's just sitting there doing nothing. And then the moment everyone gets so drunk, at the moment everyone gets so drunk, and then there be the one guy who's like laughing at everyone and playing with them and shit. I'm not. I don't do that. Okay. I just drink. I do drink. <laughs> I don't get myself to the point where I'm actually flipping wasted. Okay. Okay. I, no. 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 <laughs> no. 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 Twice. <laughs> and I've had to carry her past hostel security and the housemasters once up to the dorms. <laughs> Alongside this Christ. one super huge white guy who's at least like five nine, like both of them were just on me. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Is this you being a lightweight Lily or just being a heavy drinker? <laughs> so she went from a pure religious child to a fucking alcoholic in like what two minutes? How long have you wealthy of men? <laughs> <laughs> Good God, Lily! What? <laughs> it's my English side. I'm gonna blame it on the white side of me. How? Okay, all right. Do we equally hate the? Do we equally hate the English? Please say yes. Uh, yeah. No, I, I mean, I'm, I'm legally, I'm legally obligated to say they liberated us, so we love them. Okay, okay. They colonized us. Do we like that? I don't think I like that. I'm British Malaysian. I have to say I world. hate them. <laughs> British colonized pretty much all of the world, so everyone hates it. But yeah. Okay. So not only are you being complete pricks about it, but you can't even drink right. <laughs> I can't drink. I can't drink. I'm... Okay, Lily, can I can I ask you, how much did you drink? Poran just said he drinks eight to nine fucking pints. How much did, I can't, did you drink? I can't do beers. I go straight to the liquor. To the uh, to liquor? Okay. Okay, no. Yeah, That's a good so conversation. I, hey, I'm part Irish now, okay? Fuck you. <laughs> I can drink liquor. <laughs> how much did you drink? Myra, how much did we drink that night with Marco? Bro, I can't even remember. I was pretty wasted as well. <laughs> so one oh, day we all got home, like in the cab, I had to yank Marco's hand in because he was flailing out the window. <laughs> what in the fuck? That's like a scene yeah. from a fucking horror movie, like when they drive past and a I had light to... bulb. Yeah, right. So when we got back to the dorm, we had like some guy friends and had to cart Marco off to his room using like those luggage carts. Like, you know what the bellboys like use? Trolley. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh god <laughs> normally i'm very good with my alcohol but sometimes if i just want to go overboard I think that night Maya, Marco, and i remember finishing one like one huge towel of like beer soju then we had a round of shots and then we had like about how many bottles of soju were there like eight we ordered a bucket and then we had a few more 
Okay, okay, to be fair, that's a shit ton. So, okay. Yeah, and it was just the yeah. three of us. It was just the three of us. We were just drinking shots the whole night through with soju. No mixes whatsoever. Oh. So, yeah, it was... Uh, we I think we've managed to finish quite a lot in half an hour. I think we've finished the entire bucket pretty much in half an hour. Jesus, yeah. Um, I yeah. have a an, I have an anecdote. So I have the superpower when it comes to alcohol. I know exactly how much a party needs. Like before me and Parn got together, for context for the listeners, uh, yes, we're dating. Um, but before me and Parn oh, got together, shit. we actually yeah. planned a like a party like a okay if anyone from U.S. hears this I'm fine I'm out already but it's it's kind of you're not allowed to bring alcohol on campus and the hostel but we like threw a few parties secretly and it was pretty fun but um, yes. I, I went alcohol shopping and I filled up my entire fridge with like soju vodka just a lot of liquor and beer and soju as well and Porn texts me he's like hey isn't this overkill like what are you doing trying project x and I'm like no 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 it's fine the end of the night comes and people are like Oh, do we have more? <laughs> what in the world? If the German man says that it's overkill, then Jesus Christ, you must have bought a lot. <laughs> what? Yeah, the thing is, the thing is, over half of the people we invited to the to the party have never drank before, so never drink before. Oh so God. I thought, yeah, okay, they won't drink too much when we go exactly. there. But everything came like everything got drunken. Very good. Well. <laughs> <laughs> what in the world? Okay, that's interesting. Um, and of course, when it comes to like me, the Irish drinker, um, I take what um I've the worst, the worst that I've done. I'm gonna share this story, okay? The worst amount of alcohol that I've ever done is we were drinking on one of my friend's birthdays. And I had four pints of cider, apple cider, right? And then after that, I have, uh, I, I drink whiskey a lot. And there was this bottle of Southern Comfort, which is this American whiskey. And I really like it. And I think I liked it a bit too much because my friends just gave me the bottle instead of like, and instead of like pouring shots for everyone, I just drank the whole bottle like straight. And that was 700 oh, yeah, I, there was 700 milliliters of pure 40% Southern Comfort Have you had whiskey. a checkup on your liver since? <laughs> no, not yet. I'm scared to do that. I can already feel it hurting, but... <laughs> and that Some things are better left unknown, huh? <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that was the worst one. I got so drunk and normally it it's really hard for me to get drunk because I need to drink a shit ton but that one bottle of whiskey just completely downed me it just it the moment I drank it I saw the stairways to fucking heaven that's what happened like if it didn't down you you'd be a raging alcoholic <laughs> e, well yes <laughs> <laughs> and of course we have the purest of souls who are just listening on to this lean and Richmond any thoughts I just think this is a long introduction. What do you think, Lean? Have <laughs> <laughs> we not even gotten to the main topic yet? Fuck. Truly exactly. mind the image of this being an episode on education. <laughs> like, I, I know. Like, Don't drink, kids. I think yeah. anything you take away from that, you know. But you do I mean, you. But in moderation. In you moderation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You in moderation. You. Well. But how is Lily's form of moderation? <laughs> Oh, man. 
<laughs> it's not like I, I I don't drink every day. I drink once in a while, and it's always with a few close friends. So it's not like I. As long as you can handle your uh, liquor, it doesn't uh, matter. It seems like yeah, you're a pro at it. So party hard, work harder. Yes. No, it's work hard, play hard, woman. What? <laughs> no, you get the analogy wrong. Come on. Wait, we disagreeing about anecdotes here. Come on. Oh man. Okay. I'm no, 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 no. She just got the analogy wrong. I'm just trying to. I mean, sorry. That's what the Irish people say, anyways. Every time you ask them, why do you party so much? She's like, no, work hard, play hard. You know. That's very true. As long as you got your priorities straight, then you do whatever you want to do in your social life. Yes. Yes. That is true. That is very, very true. Um, Paran, I have a question. So. Is liquor yes. like not a big thing? This uh, what's the German uh um alcohol, the national German alcohol? Um, well, the national German alcohol is definitely beer. Besides that, we use like liquor we use from neighboring countries. So we really like vodka. We have we have a couple of like light liquors, like for example, there's one menthol liquor that we always drink when we go out in shots. It's called. Like it's peppermint liquor, so it's called Pfeffi. Oh, and we, it, oh yeah, 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 I know that. It's like yeah. it's it's vomit green in color, like super neon yeah. green. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have that. Oh. <laughs> yeah, and we're yeah that in between of the beers, we always drink a couple of shots like that. So at least ten rounds of Wait, shots. What? Everybody just invites everybody. So yeah. But that's only like I don't know twenty percent, fourteen percent, not that much. I think it's like yeah, it's it's low. But like, do you straight drink the peppermint liquor? Yes, straight shot. What the fuck? Straight shot. <laughs> How do you do that? What? He's German, Kishore. Maybe that's why. It, 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 it tastes <laughs> like it tastes like mouthwash. So it, it isn't too yes. bad. <laughs> what? It doesn't taste too bad. It's like mouthwash, but you have to fucking swallow it. That's what it tastes like. <laughs> it's a bit sweeter than that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Maybe that's the motivation. But it's also a know? southern thing, pretty much. Like Pfeffi is very southern from where I'm from. I think up north they drink other stuff. But is... yeah, I wasn't there, so I don't know. I think you guys should try absinthe. Now, absinthe is a killer. Oh, man. That is illegal in most countries, but the reason why I tried it, it was in Greece. It was on my graduation trip from high school. And my friends and I, we got a small bottle. I'm talking about maybe the size of a hand. And that bottle, you just take a whiff of it and you can already feel your throat just burning. It's like it's like the vodka straight up shot uh, sensation, but it just burns a lot more. And I remember like my friends and I were playing a few um, drinking games and I kept on losing, so there was just this concoction of all the alcohols we had, and absinthe just came through, and I was gone. Like, oh. I only had like three shots of absinthe, and it was just no. I would not recommend you to try it, but at the same time, I do. <laughs> it's I think it's about eighty percent, eighty-five. Yeah, it's pretty strong. I know it's illegal in the UK. I'm not sure about the US. In Ireland, it's definitely legal. Like, if there's a booze that's illegal in Ireland, I'll fucking slap shit out of anyone who tells me that. There's no way. <laughs> but um, actually, Poran, what's like the like 
um, like in Ireland, the national drink is Guinness. Like Guinness is made in Ireland, right? So in mm-hmm. German, what's like their like the, the the beer that's produced in Germany? It's regional, uh, no? Almost, yes, or it's very regional. Almost every every city has their own brewery, and everybody's very proud of their own brewery most of the time. So yeah, you can you can travel through all of Germany and you can drink a, a new beer in every city you go to. So we don't have the one beer because everybody loves their regional beers. Oh really? Yes. Oh, so do you mean like like if I went from Berlin to like Munich or something? Yeah. I, the beers in both places would be completely different. Completely different. Like obviously we have very strict laws on how to brew beer, so everything tastes still like beer. But mm-hmm. you have c- completely different brands. Like here in my city, we have the the Golden Ox brand, which I think is the best beer in the world. But if you go a couple c- cities further um, east to to Bavaria, you you can find like Augustina beer, which they really like. And mm-hmm. then you go a couple cities more, and you have Tegernsee, and you go a couple cities more, and you have Chiemsee. So so every city has their own beer. Some are interregional. Like you, you can buy them from almost everywhere, like the Augustina brand. You can buy in at least the whole south. But yeah, mm-hmm. every every region has its own beer. If you go up to to yeah Hamburg, they have Astra. Every every city has their own beers. Well, that's yeah, that's very interesting because like because that means that people are brewing the beer in every like every single city, right? Yes, you can really yes. smell the brewing when when they brew like once a month. You can mm-hmm. smell the hop across the whole city. Across in my the city. whole city, what? Like not the whole city, but like the the region. I I lived pretty pretty much next to the brewery in my city, mm-hmm. and we could always um, smell it when they were brewing. Holy shit! Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. I mean, Ireland, everyone just drinks Guinness. So, and the only, I don't think it's the only Guinness brewery, but the main one is in Dublin. And they make Guinness there and they ship it out to everywhere worldwide. So, and then there's whiskey breweries uh, across the country, um, like Bushmills and stuff like that. But Bushmills is in Belfast, Northern Ireland. Um, Jameson's oh, okay. is another Irish whiskey. And it's, I don't know where the fuck they brew that, but yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Very interesting. Anyways, can we just clarify that I don't think this episode was supposed to be about alcohol. Like, <laughs> I don't think this is why we got this cast together, don't you think? Really? I thought this was the main purpose. Okay. Yeah, when you, have, just... when you have me and Lean, two, like, non-drinkers. <laughs> just very quick Honestly. to throw it in, I just Googled that Germany has more than 6,000 um, beer brands you can buy from across what? all of Germany. Chief, yeah. you need to go to Germany. Take a oh trip. Oh my god. Yeah, I actually need to go. I, I was okay, I'm not joking. I'm actually planning to go to Germany uh, during the summer. So maybe Poran, I could meet you there if you're still in Germany at the time. Sure, I show you around. Yeah, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Uh, I think it'll be fun. I think uh, it, uh like the plan is to go to Germany and then probably go to like Austria and then Hungary and then head back. 
but um, we haven't fully decided yet. But Germany is definitely like at the top of the list because it's like a cheaper place to travel rather than like Italy and France. Really? Yeah, like when it comes to uh, Euro, like how much you spend in, like if you travel from Ireland, right? In, mm-hmm. If like you include accommodation, food, everything, um, you could spend like 800 euro for two weeks in Germany and it will cover pretty much everything. But in Italy and France, you need at least 1,000 or more. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So that's, yeah, that's through research that I've done. That's basically what, yeah. Okay, Anyways, very nice. Thing. Yeah, any, yes. like, oh yeah, you, you can go, you can go. No, no, no. I was I was gonna ask you to ask a question. I was like, Richmond, you had something to say. Yes, <laughs> I did. I did actually. I think we all are like we've been waiting to talk about this. So like I think we we got everyone on actually under pretense to talk about education and like for the past like I don't know, 15, 16 minutes, we've like talked about booze and booze and more booze and like a little insight into your future plans, which was fun. But like What's everyone doing right now? If like you don't mind me asking this. Um, well, right now, I mean, I'm working full time. I've just graduated uh, with a computer science degree. So I'm currently working in a tech company here in Malaysia. Um, yeah, but I only just started last week, so I can't really say much. But I love the environment and the people who work there. So, yeah, that's me. And that's a lot more experience than we have, I think. Um, maybe Poran, you can go. Yes, I'm in Germany. I'm studying um, information management and corporate communications. And I'm doing my bachelor's thesis right now. So I'm writing, or I'm supposed to write, at least. <laughs> supposed to, isn't it? Oh, a good word. <laughs> yeah, I need to get to that, you know, he's like... <laughs> Okay, Lean, you wanna? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, no worries, no worries. Yeah. Um. Uh. So I'm just doing my internship right now. Before my degree is over, I'm studying bachelor of psychology, and yeah, that's pretty much it. So, Lean. Um. On that, I believe, like prior to recording, you had an interesting story to tell us about your uh-huh. journey in psychology and how you still have a long way to go, even though you've technically already earned your degree. Why is that? I think it has to do with uh, the uh, field of psychology I'm pursuing as well. So essentially, if you want to be like, you know, um, a counselor or like a marriage and family therapist or like um, uh, a neuropsychologist, although that's also a pretty hefty field, uh, usually the smaller side of psychology or rather it's not a smaller side, it's a very big field, but like this particular subfield of it is dealing with not exactly disorders, but like, you know, anxiety and depression and more like, um, how would you put it? The, the smaller type of disorders in comparison to the more clinical side of disorders. So that's like where you require lesser work to get your qualification essentially. So um, that's what I was initially planning on doing because I really like the idea of like um, uh, family psychology, but now I'm gravitating more towards clinical psychology and that requires more work. 
So with it, with just a psych degree, you can't really do much. No matter like you can't really get your license from anywhere unless you want to like go into industrial or organizational psych, which would mean that you would be probably working in like a corporate environment. You'd probably be working in HR. Um, so that would require you to kind of build up your resume from there onwards and like build up your qualifications through experience. But the other fields, including like the smaller like you, all of these are very hefty. I'm not trying to undermine any fields of psychology. I feel like this is a bit of a debate inside the psych community where um, I think most Asian communities don't view counselor um, psychologists who are like counseling psychologists or like marriage and family therapists as valuable as clinical psychologists simply because of the, you know, the presumption that requires less work. But in all honesty, in every one of these fields, you need to do, do a lot of work to be qualified enough to give therapy or to like help people. So for me, I'd have to, if I want to do clinical, I'd have to pursue my master's and complete it and also like put in my work of like, that's a certain number of hours you have to fulfill under the supervision of a supervisor in order for you to get your qualification and in order for you to be actually called a provisional clinical psychologist so you don't actually like you know get the label of being a psychologist until you earn your doctorate in the context of wait a second so all that work and you're only a provisional clinical psychologist (laughs) so how long would it take for you to become like a full-fledged clinical psychologist. Yeah, and in all honesty, like, type of psychologist, it's going to take me probably, like, um, roughly six more years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And that, like, that six means, years like, is if a I, long time. It is. <laughs> really People can go up. People can go from not drinking a sip of alcohol to, I don't know, <laughs> probably ruining their liver at this point. Who knows? Maybe, you know, this might just drive me to that end. <laughs> All right. Um, I think, yeah, that's pretty much like, you know, the flow of things in terms of like you pursuing psych, I think. But it's I'm sure the experience of like Pora and Lily is very different in terms of like, you know, uh, what you guys are doing next. So Lily, like uh, I, you just said that you, you're like working right now after you finish your degree. Does this mean that you'd be like building up your qualifications to experience or is it like you have to pursue your master's in order to get like a higher pay or something like that? How does that work in computer science? Um, for me, with computer science, it's already more of like a specialized field. Ah. I mean, psychology, I mean, like yours is already specialized, but you guys do have different strands. Uh, mm-hmm. within the different types of psych, uh, psych you can study. But within computer science, it's more of a um, a bridge between the IT field and software engineering. So I know Taylor's offers all three different courses. So IT is more of like the front end, kind of like dealing with information on the front end, whereas software engineering is, you know, back end, whereas computer science is kind of like the bridge between both. Um, because I did my specialization in mobile computing, but... The only problem I faced during my degree is that the knowledge that these lecturers have and what they teach you is very, it's like the bare minimal. Um, so in terms of like going to work, it was just a matter of me getting, you know, gaining experience. I remember like my, um, when I went for the interview, um, they were really sweet about it. And they were asking me like, you know, what's my main goal and stuff. And I'm just like, I, I just, I just want to gain knowledge. I want to, be able to narrow down exactly what I'm good at or what I'm not because at university I feel like they don't teach you enough of the real real world because everything you know is probably from a textbook or from the slides that lecturers show that you don't really get enough experience as to 
what it's really like out there. So in this job, I mean, my title is the junior, junior analyst and developer with data. So I've worked with data before, but that's just through assignments. You know, I've never given a real thing um, to deal with. So it's just generally like, generally speaking, like I want to aim for to be able to like um, develop mobile applications as a UI UX designer. So that's basically what you as a user would see on your phone when you open an app application, like the design, the different buttons and you see like, but in order to get there, it's, it's more of experience and really knowing how to use, you know, like if, even if you're good at coding, like I, I know Porin's good at coding, even if you are good at coding in class, there are certain things that are outside class. So you may not know how to code and things like that. You just have to learn along the way with experience because code is very like, um, you really can't write an original piece of code. Um, I'm pretty sure you can find it on the internet somewhere. Can so confirm Stack Overflow is your best friend. <laughs> yes, that's yes. very true. Stack Overflow got me through my degree. <laughs> I, you know, I spent the last two years doing it online. So my knowledge of computer science is very, very, very minimal. And in terms of the experience I had, I only had three internship and I was just basically doing testing and things like that. But in terms of getting a master's, it's not necessary because for me, in my head, it's like if I were to get a master's, I'd probably just do an MBA um, rather than something more into my field because I feel like the rest can just come with experience more like. So I feel like I'm just on the first rung of the ladder right now and my way to get more experience is just to climb that corporate ladder and work my way through it. You know, listening to, all, uh, listening to all this makes me feel like I have a long way to go at this point. <laughs> so yeah, like, there is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Lily. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, no. It's fine. Continue. Continue. I cut you off. Because oh, no, yeah. I just wanted to ask. So like, Lily, so you're not you're not planning on doing your master's because you feel like that's not something that's like required for you to progress in your field. And that's that's totally fine. Lean, you absolutely need to get your master's, right? Yeah. <laughs> Do you have but, any plans on how you're going to like achieve that at the moment? Uh, right now, it's just kind of all up in the air. Like that's right, kind of the tea I was talking about. <laughs> what is the tea? Spill it. But no, like I want to, I want to hear like, you know, parent experience, I think like before, like I feel like I might go on for too long if I start talking about that. <laughs> okay. Okay. We'll like sort of yeah. like give listeners we'll a taste. Like now, now, yeah, we'll circle back. Like listeners are like waiting with bated breath to find out what the tea is. <laughs> but yeah, Poran, what is, what is education like in Germany? And like, cause I, from what I gather, it's like very different from what the rest of us have experienced. Yes, so I, I talked with Myra already about that, and um, compared to to Malaysian school systems or probably Asians in general, we have a very relaxed school system. Like you start kindergarten at three years old, and you just go there to play basically. Then at around six years old, you go to elementary school, and for the first two years, for example, you don't get any grades. It's just learning the basic stuff. You get a overall grade on how like not even a grade, just a small text as an information to the parents saying how, how good you were, if you're good at learning or not, and stuff like that. And then the third and fourth year, you firstly get grades for stuff. 
And those grades decide kind of where you go because our school system then um, divides it into three different schools you can take. You can take something like basic school. It's called Hauptschule. Then you have the, the middle school middle kind of school which is Realschule and then you have Gymnasium. The difference is that with Hauptschule and Realschule you can only do an apprenticeship or you can try to do further education and with the Gymnasium which goes until 12th grade you directly can go and study um, at the university with your degree that you're getting from there. And yeah like in general it's very relaxed and chill What what blew Myra's mind, for example, is for the um something like SPM, I guess it is in our gymnasium. It's Abitur. Yeah, or for like the listeners elsewhere, that would be like I say, I think O levels. Yeah, uh, A levels, A levels. Mm, okay. Mostly compared to A levels, right? Um, yeah. When you're in twelfth grade and you're writing those um those exams right now most of the time the 11th grade students are going to bake stuff for you and put it on a specific table in front of the secretary and if you need to go to the bathroom and you pass it you can just take some stuff and get it back into the classroom and during the exam you can just eat because we have the mentality that you need to eat and drink to properly um yeah to properly Wait, wait, wait. Let me get this straight. You can't eat during an yes. exam? What? Yes. Oh my yeah. God. No. Like everybody That's... puts out his, his lunch boxes at night. Not everybody. Some people obviously just power through. But if you like, you can always get out your lunch box and eat something as long as it's not loud. Like a pack of chips or something is forbidden. But if you just have like your sandwich with stuff, That's totally fine. And during like the big, big exams, the A-level exams, most of the time the grade under you is baking for you. And then we have like uh, brownies and muffins and like pizza rolls and stuff. And you can just take them and eat and drink some water and stuff. So it's very relaxed and chill. No, oh, that's honest... so crazy. We can barely <laughs> even breathe without getting like a dirty look from the invigilator. <laughs> oh my God, I know, right? <laughs> SPR invigilators were like a different breed. Next level. I Next think level. I only experienced that during IGCSEs when I took them. It's like we were allowed to have a snack on our table and water, but we weren't even people. allowed that for like. I think in oh Malaysia God. we had UPSR. Yeah. That was like the exam we took at like sixth grade. Yeah, already oh, in sixth grade, a, we're like subjected to exams. Yeah, right. And there's a rule where like um, only plain water is allowed and your bottle must be clear and unlabeled and must be placed on the floor at all times unless you're drinking it. That's the same for A-levels. Uh. Yeah, crazy. It's the same thing Baltics too. It's very, very strict. The same, the, the same experience, I think, what Naira and Ishran mentioned is what I also went through. <laughs> you weren't allowed to have any food in the hall. Like, yeah, you definitely get lost up. Like, thrown out, I think, if you had any food on you. That honestly, like, when I hear Paran talk about relaxing, I'm like, okay, you don't have grades. And I hear you get to eat during exams. I'm like, okay, that's, <laughs> like, good good on you, Paran. Like, you, it seems like you yeah, have a nice experience. Yeah, for, for me, it's super crazy what Myra told me, that in Malaysia, you get grades in kindergarten. That's so weird to me. I told uh, two friends of mine here in Germany and they were all like, what? How how can you do that? It's like children. Why why do you put up so much stress on them already? Gee, That's I wonder. very crazy for me. To, I think to, you could yeah. the difference between the European 
and Asian uh, education system because I've been in both. But in terms of my Asian experience, it's more like we followed the British curriculum and it's definitely a lot more chill than what I've heard about the Malaysian uh, education system. And so I think in Asia, it's it, there's a lot of pressure for the grades. Like the grades is what makes you. That's the mentality they have here. Whereas I feel like in the westernized part of the world, it's more of a kind of like, you know, your mental well-being is more, uh, what do you call it? Um is respected in that sense that like your grades they always say your grades don't define you things I feel, like that yeah, i feel like the person matters more than the transcript if that makes yeah, sense that's very true i think like with, with the background like my parents you know my dad my dad is english my mom's malaysian so i had a very <laughs> i would say very well balanced because my mom would always say you know like she grew up in the malaysian uh education system until she went to uni but I remember she would always get straight A's, but growing up, she never really um, punished me if I didn't get straight A's or things like that. She just made sure that I did my best. And yes, if I did come back with a C or lower, which I have, um, she she would ground me. She would punish me and things like that. But in terms of like making sure that I do, as long as I do my best, that was the mentality we had at home. And that's the mentality I've had throughout university. Like my grades... As long as I know I've put in all my effort um, towards it, then I'm fine with whatever grade I get. As long as it's a pass, you know. My mom always said, "You can if it's a pass, it's just got to be slightly better than pass." So B is fine. That does not sound like the typical Asian parent experience, but like, wow, yeah. that is no, uh, <laughs> that's that's mom, not actually nice. My mom got the best of both worlds in terms of that sense. I did get the discipline uh, from the Asian side, yes, but in terms of mentality, I think because of the effect of England on her, because she'd been in the UK longer than she'd been in Malaysia, I think that really influenced the way that she brought me up, which I'm grateful for. I'm forever grateful for that. I'm sorry, did you just say that you were grounded because you got all C's and then you just, you had the 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 god to say that you got the asian parenting experience are you no. what rishman are you hearing this now okay, what it feels a bit light it feels I a bit know, light i'll have yeah, to admit you know how okay. much he's downplaying this what's <laughs> oh, okay. I'm just thinking if I got all C's as a, as a I kid. I was no, 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 I'm not I don't think we'd be recording today. Would we not? No, yeah. Like I'd probably be in a coffin somewhere. Like <laughs> No, I'm not saying that if I got all C's. Oh, if I got all C's, I'd be I'd be fucked. I'd be absolutely fucked. But I'm saying <laughs> if I got a C, if I got one C, then I'd be punished. So uh, it's what, sounds, okay, that's this accurate. Sounds better. Yeah, okay. This sounds <laughs> well, great, you know. She would like she would print out so uh we used to get four track uh four um we used to have four terms in a year, four uh semesters as we'd call it, um in high school. And so after each term you'd get your grades and I remember they used to be mailed. So I used to always hide it and then they would email a copy and I was like, shit. I They introduced the emailing one. I was like, oh God, so I couldn't hide from it. And my mom would call my full name. I come to the dining room table and there she's put a photocopy of my grades. She's highlighted every single thing. And I was like, I was ready to get it down my throat. She was going to yell at me. <laughs> Even if it was like an A, right? 
the little comments that teachers would make saying, Lily's very talkative in class, or Lily doesn't really put in 100% of her effort into her homework. Even though the grade's an A, she will come at me for that. <laughs> so yes, I got the ruler growing up. I got the hanger. I got pretty much anything that would okay, be in reading. Oh, the memories. Yeah, okay. Now, yeah. now that sounds good. Okay, yes. Now that's the full package. That's what I wanted yeah. to hear. I can't have you misrepresenting the amount of pain that, you know, Asian kids go through. So you can see for a very different upbringing from what you were. Yeah, when, when when I got a C, my my parents were like, ah, maybe try to be a bit better next time. It's okay. Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> wow! What a fucking far cry! Great, was it like that for you as well? I think even though you're from the Maldives, I I doubt that it was any any different. Asian parenting is always the same, right? I think my parents were also very much, um, and I feel like they were more like, they like the Western centric ideals of like gentle parenting. I've never been reprimanded moment. for getting bad grades. Like also like being like an eldest child, you know, the pressure like to do well. <laughs> that's like ever present, but that's like a self-imposed you know, like standard that I was living up to, not that my parents enforced it. But from experience, if I did get a bad grade, I mean, like, I really like flunked my A levels, though. I did so bad, but I really didn't get reprimanded for, you know, maybe because that was, you know, the messed up high school factor that they understood to some extent. But if I came home with a C on my paper, I'd probably not be yelled at. <laughs> <laughs> they probably want oh, to like, be like, oh, it's okay. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> What? I had to convince my dad that a B is a good grade. <laughs> what? <laughs> I was oh, like, no, no, you don't understand. B is the highest in the class. No one else got an A. He's like, oh, Still, yes, that's the typical excuse. Yes, exactly. No one else got higher than me. You know, I was literally one of the three people who got the C, okay? Everyone exactly. else fucking failed. That's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> it's always worse when you start bringing up, like, no, you're one of the highest and it's such a low grade and your mom's like, they're not my kids. My mom would be yeah. like, oh, oh my God. God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Like, do you really want to be oh like them? Like, oh, yeah. my God. Oh, oh, man. Oh, it's I all coming back to me now. Fuck. <laughs> I remember I got my IGCC grades back and I really, um, so I did, I, see, this is what I mean, like in the Western part of the world like education isn't so enforced on us like in a way that you know grades really matter so like in the first year of IGCSEs I really messed up chemistry and physics like I was scoring C's and D's like I really hated those two subjects but like we had a whole like three months between the first year of IGCSEs and second year so because our school year is very different to Malaysia so it starts end of August and it will finish by end of June that's kind of where our um what do you call it, school years, right? So I remember asking my mom to get me a bunch of textbooks and help books for chemistry and physics, and I really brought my grades up. But when I got my IGCSE official results, um, they'd kind of list it in a way that, like, your your grades are in order. So everything was good until physics. Physics was the last one, and it was a C, and it was a 69%, which meant that it was a 1% away from a B. Oh. And my... Oh, the so agony. Was, oh. 
<laughs> and the thing is, bearing in mind, like, biology, I scored A star. Chemistry, I scored a B. And, you know, everything is that either matched my predicted grades or I got higher. So I was like, you know what? It's fine. I got this. And so when my mom saw it, that's the only grade she picked me on about. Like, she was like, why'd you get a C? Why? You know? It's like, the rest of the grades were nice, but you just had to get a C for physics. And I remember my dad bringing me out on the balcony, talking to me about it. And my dad, he... Bring, uh, bring, um, in his generation, he stopped at um, O levels, which we now know as GCSEs, right? So he was really bad in school. Like I, he showed me one of his report cards, and his the two best grades were history and art. The rest were just pretty much fail. So he couldn't really say much. So growing up, it was just like he says, "It's fine." And he, I remember him telling me on the balcony, "Is like you're not going to take physics." physics next year right I was like nope and he said don't worry about it mom will get over it and stuff like that so it's like I had like 50 50 of white parenting and Asian parenting right there and then oh, I'm just man. like <laughs> it was always very confusing in the household because whenever my mom reprimanded me it's like I never saw it as a form of abuse I don't think Asians kids realize that it is a form of abuse but we've been so we're preconditioned to feel that like that's what we deserve yeah, exactly. And so my dad, I remember whenever he would catch my mom, you know, smacking me with a wooden spoon or whatever, they'd have a massive argument because obviously he doesn't agree with that. And I'm just like, I'd rather not have it, but I don't want to argue with mom. So like, it was yeah. always like that home when it came to grades. It was a very like, my dad had to be in the room. Otherwise, it would just be like a shit show between my mom and I just arguing back and forth. And I dare not argue with my mom, right? So it would just be my mom just shouting at me and I'd be like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay I won't do it next time and I'd be absolutely shit scared of any grades that would come in the mail later on well I okay honestly though after hearing you explain it I think that's such a good balance because like you have the Asian parent that's just beating the shit out of you and then then you go to the fucking western parent who's you know there to comfort you you know <laughs> Yeah, that's- <laughs> it sounds like a good system I think we need I think all Asian countries need to make marriages uh, between an Asian person and another Asian person illegal well, are we trying to incentivize <laughs> mixed race relationships now <laughs> just so <laughs> just to stop the fucking Asian parenting trend right we need to make uh, you know marriages amongst Asian people completely illegal or you know or give them counseling to not you know bait shit out their child <laughs> well either way right I think the latter is a lot more easier but still the former is you know <laughs> it's a good idea I think that's like that rule okay yeah I haven't I haven't I, I, I remember why I brought this up now um, do you know in Ireland most people are married to their cousins <laughs> so that's not a joke. Yes. Now I For remember. Real? This like how? Yes. yes, I know. I know. Yes, this, this is the I know. This is the stupidest thing that I learned about Ireland. And I is the reason why I brought the, the, the point that I had before this is because I just remembered that most people in Ireland are married to their cousins. And I mean some oh of them God. even to their first cousins. No joke. I mean, are these like like younger people or like yes. older people? Every everyone 
is basically related to each other. Like the whole of Ireland, almost everyone is related to each other. And it's so weird. Okay, okay. Um, there's a similar had, thing in Sarawak as well. Wait, it's not to that degree, but it's like if you're Sarawakian and you're dating someone who's like a native person, you gotta like check your family tree. Like, is this person related to me? Because like 50, like one out of two chances, they probably are. And it's like you have your grandmothers trying to set you up with someone else and it's like, oh, but that's my like third cousin one's roof. And they're like, nah, it's fine. Like, bro, no. <laughs> Yeah, but like you see, the thing about Ireland is like they acknowledge that, that the fact that they're fucking cousins and then they fucking marry them. Anyways, they marry them, they sleep with them, they have kids and then those kids go on to, you know, do the, they, they repeat the cycle like again and again. The fact that my Irish friend told me that when he moved houses, so he went from Galway to Dublin, right? He went from Galway is the easternmost uh, most side of the country, and then he went to Dublin, which is the capital of the the city uh, of the city of the country. And then when he moved to Dublin, his neighbor had the same last name as him. So his his name was ah oh, fuck I can't I can't remember, but it was O something. Like do you know Irish names? They have like O like O Sullivan or O Mark or something like that. The O means yeah, it's always like that. Yeah, the O means, um, I think, son of or grandson of, something like that. It's There's two uh, prefixes. One is O and the other one is Mac. So it's like McCormack or McJames. And then the other one's like O Cormac or O James. And that's like, uh, both of them mean, one of them means um, grandson of and another one means son of. And then my 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 friend, he had, the same last name as his neighbor and that's like a common thing like if you come from a place for any anything like anyone really and like even in malaysia people have same surnames and stuff like that but then when he checked with his family he realized that was one is one of his fucking first cousins like what the fuck <laughs> how how does that even happen and then i and then I brought the conversation up to all of my Irish friends and they were all like, oh yeah, no, that's really common. I was like, what? How, what? <laughs> okay, Paran, that inbreeding thing, that doesn't happen in Germany, right? I mean, you got to realize that uh, the British royal family is pretty much product of incest anyway. Everyone that's got blonde hair and blue eyes is the mutation of incest anyway. So, <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, it does run a long way in Europe in general, but I didn't think it was a common practice nowadays in that sense. No, uh, it's so in the way that common. It. Yeah, so I was quite shocked to hear that, but... You it's know really what? weird, Everybody... you know? Yeah. <laughs> I want to see them draw out the family tree, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, what the fuck? Can you well, imagine you have like, at a least niece trees that's are like 20 years older than you? <laughs> <laughs> oh man that, that would be, be a mess that'd be so fucking weird what <laughs> i can't imagine that like how do they like they know that this person they look at this physical human being and they're like okay this is like my second cousin and then they're like hey let's go sleep with each other like <laughs> how how do they do that like what maybe it's the alcohol 
no. It's probably when over, too overpowering. Sober, Maybe there are no options. <laughs> hmm. are you finally, if everyone what? else is in bread, Kishore, like, <laughs> I mean, how yeah, else? I mean, you can't really, right. you know, like, when you're half drunk, Tris, you know, you're like family tree back to your grandfather and then make sure, you know, like, that's a lot of luck to put on a person. Yeah, I think it's also back to a cultural thing in a sense that they're just accustomed to it. You know, it's been done for generations. So, mm-hmm. you know, for us, it's complete. It's completely out of it. Like, it's it's not something that we would do because you know we've grown up like that. Maybe for them, it's just something that they've always known of, and it's just been passed down the family. So for them, it's okay. You know. Yeah, that's but a good point. Obviously, from an out from an outsider's point of view, it's completely. Irrational yeah. in any sense, but we can't really hate on it because we haven't grown up in that world, so we wouldn't know about the influence around us. And I know, like, there's um, I remember watching um, like uh, gypsy weddings and all that, and they a lot of them were Irish as well, and they were marrying their cousins or I don't know, uh, they were all family relatives, and it it was a, it's a weird thing to acknowledge from an outsider's point of view, but. If you're in that community and you see your ancestors have been practicing it for generations, then I guess you wouldn't know any difference in that sense. Like, uh, if you bring it back to Asian way of disciplining their children, you know, if you look, if you bring uh, a white parent um, and they see like an Asian mother beating their kid in the middle of the shopping center, <laughs> which has been done that to me, yes. Um, they're thinking, oh my God, that's abuse. But for us, we've known it as, no, that's how we discipline our children. Okay. You know, on that note, I mean, like, like be it like beyond cultural barriers, can we all agree that high school is just universally bad? Or unless, oh, I don't yeah. know, maybe, maybe Pearl <laughs> oh, might have had yes. a positive experience. Hell yes. Yeah, no, I, I bet here in, in, the, in German high schools, there's also a lot of stress on some people. but. I was maybe pretty lucky and also probably compared to your stories, all of, of my classmates had it very chill. Hmm. I, think of, yeah, I think I could agree with Ford at some point because I went to an international school. Like there was a lot of things going on. Like your popularity was based on like how rich you are, you know, and a lot of my friends being in Geneva, a lot of my friends' parents worked for the UN. So they were pretty much all diplomat kids, you know. So it was all money, money, money. But in terms of like, if we worked on a culture, uh, you know, uh, we were quite in, we were quite a, a niche group. We we're quite uh, tight with each other. You know, we together as a, a group, we planned out our graduation trip. We barely had, we didn't really have things like clicks in our school. Everybody got on with each other. Obviously, you know, like you have your own group of friends that you hang out with. Um, but if we were to have a class discussion, there would be no hate against each other. Obviously, you have the standard, you know, drama and stuff like that. But, you know, things like that. That's what makes high school, you know, the drama. <laughs> you sure? Are you hearing that? Well, yes, I did. And what I kind of have to agree with you on that. But I don't think that just happened in, like, international schools. Uh, I think in the public schools as well. Right, Richmond? Yeah, except I don't know. At least for me, the public schools had like the drama upped up a notch to like mm-hmm. I don't know times a hundred. It was 
insane, coupled with the fact that like teachers in public schools aren't the best. I'll That's just put it that way. Yeah. Public schools, Public school a lot of teachers, bureaucracy. Yeah. Like a lot of like, favoritism, very, stuff like that. It's rife. I'll let yeah, you explain like for sure. Traditional thinking, really. No, I just want to add on to your point there. It's just really traditional in a sense. Like I know, I know the word traditional doesn't do it justice, but like, you know, it's just no, what what's the word? It's like it's not progressive. <laughs> Basically. And yeah. like Lily, because you talk about like not having cliques for uh, at least like in our experience in high school, cliques were like a big thing. Mm. What cliques? Like having cliques in high school, you know, there'd be like groups of oh, people. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We had that. We, we weren't even in the same circles until like the tail end of high school, which is kind of insane. Yeah, actually. Yeah, like one interesting observation, I think, in like public schools in particular in Malaysia, a lot of the cliques are race-based. And like it really speaks to how deep politics affects our lives here. Like it seeps into the education system as well with like, um, you know, government quotas for particular races, although it's not explicitly said it's a thing here. For real? I think like rich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, That's like a lot of... um, but non-Malays end up going to private universities. Like you could get 10 A's and you wouldn't be accepted into a government uni program because someone else, like, oh, it, and they give you thought to someone maybe who doesn't have such good grades, but because they're of a certain race, they get to go in. Yeah. I've been asked that question a lot even since, I've, since I've been here in the US, actually. Like, how come like some people are on like the, are on like a certain scholarship? Like, aren't you Malaysian as well? And I'm like, well, you know, there's like some intricacies to that. But, like, back to, like, talking about cliques. I mean, like Myra says, can confirm a lot of them were race-based. But, I I mean, it's it wasn't, like, you wouldn't say, like, people between, like, ethnic groups didn't, like, bond and, like, you didn't have relationships. I mean, those cliques did exist. There were, like, some outliers. But a lot of times, at least, like, in my experience, I felt like a lot of these, like, race-based cliques were often forced like sometimes you would get people just hanging out just because they're like of the same ethnic group and not because they have anything in common. Yeah. And a lot of times yeah. it doesn't end well. I agree with that. And you know, I, 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 I'm like the weird one when it comes to this fucking clique discussion because I know all of the languages. So I was literally the only one that, that would jump between cliques because I had the ability to communicate with like a full group of Chinese students and a full group of Indian students and a full group of Malay students, I could handle myself fine with any of them, you know? So it, there was like this really weird thing where I just never le- really knew where the fuck I was, <laughs> you know? I know Richmond felt the same way as well. I mean, yes, like but this, also I had yeah. the disadvantage of like not knowing as many not languages. Knowing, exactly. And also like I didn't even know like Tamil anyways, or like at least like any of like the Indian languages, which is like, I don't know, regrettable. So, like, even within those cliques, I did feel kind of like an, yeah. an outsider looking in. Just, like, kind of, kind of there because I look like these people. But do I, like, vibe with them? Maybe, maybe not. Mm-hmm. And that was interesting because of, like, the systems in place that you sort of, like, have to, like, be around these people a lot. Yeah, you have no choice. But in, in my school, like, you, race wasn't really, like, it was never a problem because... 
I mean, for us, I, I remember, like, the only time race would come into play was for one thing, and that's when it came to sports. It was, like, Asians versus the rest of the world, which actually split us up quite fairly, to be honest with you. But the thing is that even within the Asians, you've got mixed, you know, it's, like, it depends. You just go with whatever. So in our school, it wasn't... It, I, I'm glad to say it wasn't about race. I think that's what, you know, we were able to bond about is just that we really didn't care about uh, what you looked at like and things like that. It was more about what you have. And the worst part is when you, you're at the rival schools, it's like it's another international school. And I remember there was this, uh, it was my international school versus another one. And so we were both quite equal in terms of academics and sports, but the other schools tend to be like quite um, a bit more successful in their sporting uh, club. So there would always be this, uh, fight about that and I remember people dating uh, people from my school dating people from that school and if they broke up it was such a huge thing and suddenly you can't be friends with that person even though the drama has got nothing to do with you and if you were you were you, know, you were an outcast in your own school which honestly I didn't give a shit about but yeah I mean people would bring that beef on the field I remember um, playing in a football tournament one time and Literally, the the girl was from the other school, and um, she had beef with me off the field because uh, her boyfriend, she caught her boyfriend talking to me, and it was merely just about school, because he used to go to our school, and she brought that beef on the field, and she ended up uh, giving me a tackle, which ended up, which ended my football career in that sense. Um, so... Compared to, I'd say, your school, it was just more about the drama. Anything that could cause drama, I swear, like, people were living on gossip. That's how they would survive, it's just gossip and gossip and gossip. And I think that pretty much goes around for most high schools, I think. I think that's an accurate representation. We can definitely say that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But not just on the gossip front, or at least, like, I don't know if all high schools are like this, but, like, is it true that at least like at the tail end of high school, people like start getting a lot more competitive and start becoming less social or at least like that aspect of it is like, like people, like there's more like attention put on that. What, what do you mean? I don't know if I'm coming across like really well, but like what I'm trying to say is at least like the, the way I have it, because like, at least back in Malaysia, maybe just true for you as well, Myra, like there are things like class rank. And also like because the way high school works for us at the end of like SPM, that's like supposedly we were told the one exam that like defines your oh, yes. defines what happens. And like once everyone starts getting hyper focused on that one exam, mm-hmm. like relationships start to deteriorate people start getting hyper-focused on doing well, oftentimes to the detriment of like their social life or not even that, sometimes just wanting to get one up over like your friends as well. Because I don't oh, know man. like when you were in, like you have, you're in high school, you had to do this, but extracurriculars. Mm-hmm. For us, extracurriculars were like, we were told like, oh, you have to do like these specific extracurriculars in order to like pass. And a lot of people like never took them seriously. You just saw them as like participation. Hey, you just do that for for your grades. And oftentimes, like, you're not really honing those skills as, like, you'd probably do in college right now. 
but like it was more like you just did it because you had to and i felt it was kind of sad especially because in like the school system i was in a lot of the times this meant that like you didn't really have opportunities to pursue stuff you wanted to pursue just because other kids just wanted to attend these activities just to tick boxes and stuff because like not because they actually want to do well in them just because they wanted to like get the check mark and like pass their like co-curriculum aspect of their grades would you say that's true elsewhere or is like do you think people take extracurriculars a lot more seriously elsewhere for us like extracurriculars wasn't uh it was nothing to do with your grades it did not affect your grades whatsoever but you had the chance to take it up to nationals if you wanted to. If you were if you were very serious about that, yes, you could bring it in a way that it uh you could land yourself a sports scholarship or whatever scholarship based on those extra curriculars. But for for people uh, going back to your point about students being competitive, especially when it came to the SBM and things like that, um, in our school we really didn't have that because I remember we were, uh I took the international baccalaureate if you don't, you know, you guys yeah, know IB. Yeah, I'm aware. Yeah, the IB. So I took the IB and I remember we were all stressed about it. And do you know how we, we ended up just studying together? We had like a whole Google Doc for each subject with every person's notes combined. And we would work on it collectively during class. And whenever there was a question raised, somebody else uh, would answer on the Google Doc. So we were quite in unity for that because we were always supporting each other. We were we never saw each other's competition. We always thought that the main competition is yourself. So I'm quite shocked to hear that your extracurriculars were are also part of your grading system and you're only participating in them to pass rather than to actually do what you want to do. It is and now I now I don't feel very good about that system. But well <laughs> it is what it is. That's the same in Germany here too. Like we have a very little extra curriculars to start with, but all of them are just for fun. Right. Because like That's from what I'm aware of for me, like at least like applying to go to college in the US, there was like a lot of emphasis on what your extracurriculars were. So like because I knew that was what I wanted to do in high school, I like really like wanted to double down on stuff I did, which is why like I did stuff like debate and then like among other things. And like being in clubs and societies and all that. And I think there are their merits to that. I mean, like, that's the whole reason I know Myra and Lean is because I like did debate and that was fun. That helped with college. And that also helped in making friends, which is nice. Uh, also with the making. Oh, yeah. Pauline. Huh? Oh, yeah. You were saying something? Yeah. So it was, was, yeah. Um, yeah, with the making friends and the social life, when it came to, to our end exams, like the big exams at the end, in 11th and 12th grade was actually the time where we all socialized way more, even though we had this big exam that yeah. was kind of defining if we can go to call, uh, to university or not. That was the time when we spent the most time together, like out having fun and doing other stuff and less time learning, in a sense. Like it was never competitive or... Stuff like that. Yeah, I agree with Warren on that. It's more about just like the unity in that sense. Was passing together, making sure that we all studied the same thing and we knew as much as each other. And the the final grade was just really down to how much you as an individual studied, rather than you know worrying yeah. about other people. 
Yeah, definitely. All right, you get free education, right? <laughs> oh yes, yeah, that's also a very nice yeah. point. Yeah, we're free education. Free education. <laughs> Because he's in Germany, he's Lucky he doesn't you. need to pay for college tuition. Yikes! Yeah, that's I. You know, I had this plan that I wanted to go to Germany and study. My mom literally told me that it's free there. You just need to learn the German language. I was like, wait, what? I need to learn the German language. And I was like, okay, I'm coming to Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that's a that's a huge point that I was also very interested in and and like to learn from Ira because here in Germany, private like private schools and private university are not a thing at all. Like we have private schools, but I know almost like I personally know nobody who goes there, and it's like people rather make fun of it saying oh you're like this this rich kid going to a private school huh why don't you go to a normal school and with universities yeah er everything's cheap and free and yeah and so that was very interesting to learn that there was a much higher focus in malaysia on, on private universities especially with what what you said like that you can't sometimes go into the public university and i heard if i remember correctly that you can't really study what you want in a public university in Malaysia. Like you get yeah, something. Yeah, I, I think like you have to apply, and then uh, like you sort of get given what. Like, yeah. Okay. Your concentration. How it works? Do. How it works is like this. So there's this thing called UPU, and like uh, during SPM, like form five students are encouraged to apply for it. And in that form, the application, you state the preference of which uh, degree you want. And based on a preference, they'll assign it to you. But I know people who have gotten like zero from their preferences and were like assigned randomly to like TESL, teaching English as a second language when they're uh, the first preference was law, for example. It's actually so absurd. Oh, damn. That's, wow. that's so crazy to hear that. You know, Puran, for what we've heard about how good education in Germany is, why did you decide to come to Malaysia? Um, well, in, in my university, it was very encouraged to take one year abroad. And so I was I was thinking which country I could go in. And uh, I'm really attracted to all the, the Asian countries because I like the culture and especially the food and the weather. And I already was in Taiwan and Vietnam and stuff. And like Japan and South Korea, for example, are very expensive. And they required me to have like a overall A grade to go there, which I don't have. And then it was Malaysia and I didn't know much about Malaysia. So I was like, hell yeah, why not? I want to learn about that country. And I was very lucky because like for Taylor's, that was our partner university. So I didn't have to pay anything in tuition fees for that semester. So I could just go there and like pay for URES and stuff, but I didn't have to pay for the university itself. So that's why I decided to go there. Taylors do be treating the German students well, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, I was just curious whether like in, uh, both for foreign and really like, whether like, you know, like you guys, the schools you went to, like before you went to high school, were they like, uh, schools that you had to pay for and what what is it like here in Malaysia like is it only the universities you have to pay for or like you have to pay for the schools as well okay um so like correct me if I'm wrong so I believe public schools like you pay a very like minimal fee I believe it's around like 100 ringgit or something per year and that's like it's not super expensive 
and like for you for university if you if you're lucky enough to get to a public university yeah you do have to pay i think but it's not as substantial as what you would pay to attend like a private university and yeah, that's very, very little. like in taylor's for a degree you can spend like a few hundred grand but if i'm not mistaken i checked a while ago a master's degree in like unimas a public university is like maybe a couple thousand that's it mm-hmm. yeah it's it's, it's huge and um yeah basically that it's pretty crazy like the stark difference and it's a whole like issue of politics here actually Mm-hmm. It's very yeah. much politicized. Politics plays a huge role here. Yeah, that's that sucks. Like, I mean, education, you know, like no one should have to actually pay for it. But well, in the Maldives, I think like you don't pay, especially like since oh, that's that was a new president, well, a new one. His term is going to be over in a couple of years. But uh, with the new election and like the new government, we had um a policy change of universities also being free so basically like uh every Maldivian student can do one degree whatever degree they want to from the national university or like a private university for free um well not fully for free there's a small percentage you have to pay for and um if you you have to finish the course entirely for example like okay someone starts doing um law and they want to like stop doing law and switch to business admin or something you probably have to you'd end up paying the entire like uh like whatever money you spend in that course you have to pay it back to the government essentially yeah but they do cover like even medicine too so it's pretty decent i'd say it's not entirely free but uh it's decent and for like the sorry in high school and in primary school secondary all that that was completely free that is completely free uh yeah so i think my experience in terms of like paying for the school is like, I mean, it isn't awful. It isn't horrible at all. Um, but the, the thing is, I think um, there's a lot of money, I think, outside of uni, I mean, school itself being spent on tuition because I think um, there's this weird side business that goes on in the Maldives where like the quality of education sometimes isn't that great like within the school and it's like i think intentionally done so that like tuition teachers get more money like it's kind of like built that way the system so even though you don't end up like paying for actual school you do spend a lot of like money paying for tuition yeah like outside of school i was just saying that's like quite something in terms of like tuition and all that because like i mean i was I mean, I, I was very lucky because my part, I, I did get to kindergarten, but my primary and my secondary education was in Hong Kong. And I remember my mom's company paying for my education, but I do recall like any private uh, institution, especially an international school, uh, you would have to pay for. Because in Hong Kong, if you were to go to a public school, it would obviously be in Chinese. And it was the same in Switzerland, it would be in French. Like our school was... It's quite weird. It's quite different to uh, schools that you get over here. So our school actually had a French section and an English section. So the French section would actually follow the, I think, I believe it's the French uh, system, the French baccalaureate or Swiss baccalaureate, uh, whereas the English section would obviously follow the British curriculum using the IGCSEs, and then on top of that, you have the IB. Um, so it was very different. And even in that, then it was 
there was a lot of drama. I remember in the early years when I first joined that school, there was a lot of drama between the two sections. Um, because in the city that I lived in, there was a lot of drama between the locals and those who spoke English. Um, so there, there was a lot of things going on. But yeah, in, in terms of like paying for it, yeah, it was, it's a lot of money uh, to keep up with an international uh, school background, which I'm very grateful for. I didn't realize that privilege uh, because I thought a lot of people went to international schools, but when I got here, I was clearly wrong. Um, but yeah, I'm quite surprised about Malaysian education system, though, compared to what I had. Yeah, the yeah. education system here in Germany is pretty much like leans. Like we have, we don't have to pay for any public schools, and for the universities, you also pay a small fee, but not very much. But also, in, in, it's like written even in our constitution where it says like education must not be a question of income for the parents. So they have a huge emphasis on parents not having to pay anything. That's amazing. So like, I think I'll, on like in the Maldives is kind of like contentional. It depends on like, you know, whatever the government is doing. Like they might choose to like make it like, you know, um, not, I mean, not free again. Um, I think in the, in the context of, you know, like being able to have the resources to like go abroad is also like uh, scholarships and loans. If you do well, I mean, if you do like well in your A-levels, that's pretty okay. So I guess like the access to better yourself abroad is an available option because honestly, the options are really, really limited back home. It's just um, two places. Yeah, it's just two universities that offer in the main city at least in the main city which is you know where the hub of things are because yeah well there's just a bunch of islands and so all the development is pretty centralized to just this two kilometer piece of land <laughs> yeah um like it if i were to be honest it's pretty like uh yeah it's it's truly arbitrary i was very lucky to be like you know to grow up in the main city and therefore i think Overall, I had better access to a better like public school even back home. Yeah, same as Portland, like the private universities aren't very like, it, it isn't like particularly good if you go to a private university, you're pretty mocked. Um, so you just, and the education is far better, like, like overall in the public school. So you end up going to a public school and that's usually like done based on where you live. The government kind of assigns you to a public school, but um. The ones that are in the main city of Mali, I think they had comparatively like a uh, better standard because the government was simply in, like investing more like in into those schools like for a really long time and they didn't really care about the people who lived in the other islands, you know. So uh, I think Maldives like really didn't like even hit the age of like education becoming normalized until I think uh, probably the late 90s where more people started actually like, I mean, more like people who were of like the middle class were able to actually access it. Only like people who were super rich and who belonged to the main city and was related to the president or something. These were the families that would probably have access to good education. So, I mean, I was lucky enough to be born later in, <laughs> later in like the context of time and also like in the main city. And therefore, I think I had an overall better chance of even coming here because I think my education from like the very beginning is just 
you know, arbitrarily like better than those like from the islands because the government refused to invest. And I think it's either a strategic thing they do. Oh my God, not me here. I'll take the entire world even government. But it's been like this for um like literally years and things have been getting better. But when my parents were younger, uh, uh, essentially like it's like the food even in not just education, but really basic necessities were also gatekept to like the main city. So like the poor islands were like just suffering really, really badly. And even for like, like medicine and like to get access to like even a hospital or a doctor, if you had like, you know, like, like, a long-lasting illness or something you would have to travel and like beg like you know re- the richer people for like scraps and be able to access you know like the main like basic needs to that. so um uh yeah like things only got normalized towards education i think as like uh you know the government's changed that was um this <laughs> oh, i think this is getting very political on my part guys <laughs> I mean, I, think, I mean, education is a very like politicized issue, it so is like it makes sense. Thing. Yeah, so uh, it's like that was uh, essentially, you know, just one president like who had power for like thirty years, you know, like, and this was the period of time where uh, things weren't so so great, but he did do decent develop. I mean, investment into the development, but not enough, you know, not enough to justify his long reign, of course. And then, like, you know, some, like, changes happened that government was, like, you know, uh, people protested and, like, a new government, like, came on top. And that's when I think, like, things actually started properly changing in terms of, like, education becoming better for a lot of people. Because uh, for us, the only option we have once we finish our O-levels is to only access uh, one of two high schools. So you have one private high school and one public high school. So those who do well, like from the like islands and the main city website as well, like you have the option of getting into the like public high school, which is like marginally like better than the private school because a, you don't have to like, you know, like actually pay for the school and be the teachers and, you know, the quality of education is better. So unless you do super, super well, like you don't, like you aren't like a love to, like you're barred from entering the public high school. So a lot of people like end up like stopping their education, like after they finish their O-levels, you know, and then the people who do do well in O-levels in their IGCSEs, they get into this public high school. And then those who have the resources end up going to the private school even though they weren't able to get into this public school yeah and the funny thing is like you know you unless you get like I think um I think it's like five six A's and one B or something anyways the standard is super super high if you have a C there's no hope of you getting into this um high school but the strange thing is it's kind of like constructed in a way where when you get into this public school, your education is like only based around the fact like that, you know, you you have a vague idea that you're you're working for your A-levels a- because the career guidance isn't like, I mean, career guidance isn't a thing. If you don't have parents who like, you know, had access to higher education, <laughs> there's no way you know whatever the hell you want to do. I was like lucky enough to like 
have an idea, a vague idea of like what I was interested in. And because I was in curricular activities, I knew kind of like what I would want to do. And like lots of people weren't as lucky. So you just go into high school, assuming, you know, like this is the next natural step. And, you know, there are no options like, oh, like foundation wasn't a thing. Like you just, or diploma wasn't a thing. You just, those are for like the weaker, academically weaker kids. You do A-levels because, you know, you had decent grades and you were good enough to get here. But then, um, what happens is when you get into this high school, uh, the system is like, okay, to be very brief, I think the TLDR is there are houses in this high school and your entire life, um, like that was, you know, very like, it was very constricted and constrained, like in primary and secondary, because, you know, I mean, for context, what is a 100% Muslim country? So like, there's lots of like, <laughs> there's lots of like, you know, uh, I guess people are just kind of, people go, like, people let loose. People go crazy the moment they enter, like, high school because, you know, there's, like, the entire, like, age of being reigned over by your parents and your teachers, like, are kind of over and then you just get into high school and your things, like, blow out of proportion. So everyone kind of loses their shit, to be honest. Right, so, um, it kind of seems, like, standard with conservative cultures. Yeah, and then you just, like, um... And to add to this mess, there's this entire like uh, politicized system of like having houses in this high school that I went to, which is the which is like the main high school, you know, and <laughs> like people get um not sorted. Sorted is the wrong word. I assume you have a choice here, right? <laughs> or does someone doing it? But like you get categorized into like one of four houses. And let me tell you, these houses are exactly like okay. Not to be biased, if there's any Maldives listening, I'm going to be really called out. But like, there's like four houses that like are the same color and have like overall the same traits as the Hogwarts houses. Okay. So (laughs) your entire... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. Like, um... You end up like the thing is, it's very arbitrary though. Like, you don't like see, like, you don't opt into going into a house. Like, uh, the, the houses are so glorified because there's something called a house cup. Again, it's like they stole the entire script of JK Rowling. Oh, <laughs> yeah. wow. yeah, All the Potterheads moving cup. to Maldives after this podcast. <laughs> I'm getting to like how toxic business actually is. This is such a long winded part. You were thinking like, oh, it's like Hogwarts. People want to go and Lean's like, no, you don't want to make that decision. <laughs> Why, go there? Why is that? You said like the house cups. Like, is that to do with uh, sports or what? Like what? okay like so give you some context like there's lots of like different activities that like uh it's like segregated intersections you know like one half the year we do maybe like it's dependent on sports and then there's like some language days where you focus on like a and kind of like an english language day where you have activities based around you know like poetry and drama and like you know even like something called glee and like there are some other days where we focus on uh like uh, there's this one major event called Megabytes, which takes up like 60% of the house points, which is like uh, essentially based on how much money you make through selling goods, like foods and stuff. You know, you make stalls in this, like in the main football stadium in the city. And um, 
uh, it's usually the football stadium but sometimes it's some other stadiums too and uh it's like the house that makes the most money like is essentially usually the the house that wins the cup you know so <laughs> Uh, let me just give you some context to what these houses are. Literally, it's just, you know, the four houses like Gryffindor, Hufflepuff, Ravenclaw, but the names are different. It's like, um, the, the it's the same colors, but it's like named after like different jewels in like in Divehi, which is the Maldivian language. So for example, um, uh, the house I was in was would be like stereotypically like it's a Gryffindor because it was a red and gold house, you know. So uh, you the name it, we were named after like the rubies, the word like in Divehi, which is yeah the language. And then uh, you have like the emeralds, which are like the Slytherin, and then the diamonds, which are the Ravenclaws, and the mother of pearls that are like um, the um, Hufflepuffs essentially. Actually, it's not mother. It's actually gold and pearls. Sorry, I have a question. Do you have, like, as an individual, do you have any, like, benefits out of these health things? Like, does it, I don't know, no. does it boost you? Or, you no. So you, it's all about really kind of, like, a cool spirit. Yeah, sense. it's kind of like a, it's not even a cool spirit. It's kind of like just a house spirit, you know? The reason why, like, um, this gets, like, okay, you would think that this feels pretty harmless, right? But it's, like, it serves as a really big distraction for literally like a bunch of, you know, like, you know, like 20 teenagers who have just been let, like, you know, left free from really restrictive high schools and parents, you know, you have your freedom and then you add these like, you know, house politics into the mess where like kids are literally like, you know, throwing their lives like into this like entire house cup ordeal. So you forget about the entire process of actually accessing, you know, doing well in your A-levels or like, you know, trying to get better. Like there's like, the few like Ravenclawish houses, I mean Ravenclawish classes, I remember. Oh, there's actually Alos after this bullshit, guys. So they work, you know. But everyone else is just distracted by this like really like stupid thing, and it's like it's a strategic move. Like I mean, after like I thought about it, you know, it's a strategic move like by the by the government um to like make sure that the people who did well in their all levels. The people who have a chance of actually bringing meaningful change to the country, they are distracted and they remain in the country without having the opportunity to like access better education elsewhere. You know, so like they like they trap you. Like you are going to like get distracted by these house politics. You're going to distracted. You're going to get distracted by high school life in general. High school is generally overall hard for everyone. And to add that into the mess, and it's just so like barbaric. You know, because you know like. When you think about the fact that it's just literally like the people who go into this uh, school are like literally the best of the best of the country and of the people who graduate from them, not even like 5% or 10% end up making it out of the country to access better education. So it's just a way of like making like people, yeah, like dumb them down and keep them trapped, treat them like sheep, you know? Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> this is some deep characterization we've given to like this whole high school education. It's actually insane. Yeah. yeah I was I mean, it's like very different to the experience I had with houses. Because like I said I was I did one year of high school in Hong Kong and they had houses. We had seven of them. It was a massive school and so the way our system our school worked was um so there was this uh, um, collection of like collective of schools under ESF, which means English School Foundation. So 
they had like two primary schools. So you had Bradbury and Quarry Bay School. So I went to Bradbury, which means that your high school is actually already laid out for you in a sense that you have a direct entry into three particular schools. So we had West Island, Island, and South Island School. The majority of us went to South Island. So you'd end up having, in our school year, you had about 120 students. So that meant in high school, you ended up having 240 because it's joined by another school, right? Another primary school. So 240 students per year. And our house was merely not as, I'd say, pressurizing as yours lean because ours is mostly just down to uh, sports. Mm -hmm. We had like sports day at the end. It was was very competitive between three particular houses. It was mine, which we, ours was named after like leaders kind of because we had Hillary, we had Schweitzer, and then I was in Justin as in Thomas Justin. And I remember how Pops was. Um, we had like swim competitions and I remember um, so I had been we used to do swimming lessons in the primary school up in the big school in South Island because they had an Olympic sized school so I remember getting scouted there to ask to go join um, the swim team if I were to go to South Island after which I did so when I did join the swim team it was such a huge thing because uh, in the school they don't normally recruit any first years to enter any of the school teams just because training was needed and any confirmation. So it was quite a huge thing for me to be, uh, can I say drafted? Yeah, drafted into the swim team as a first year. So I remember when it came to the swimming competition, which is the biggest uh, event for the house, uh, as you say, a house cup, because at the end of the year, it would state like which house is, with, is winning and stuff like that, and they get a certain amount of points and stuff and collect them through events like this so I'm actually quite taken back as to how much your housing really affected the way that students would play out their um, lives at school rather than focusing on the their most important thing so I so what brought you out here then Helene? what brought you out to Taylor's um, I think I like, like, if you don't mind, I know, I know, of course not. No, of course not. I think like uh, just to make a comment before, like oh, I just said, I think that sounds. I mean, comparatively healthier, right? The house politics that you guys yeah. had, like in the first year. Yeah, I mean, I I would say that, uh, in terms of how I got here, I think overall, I think I just got lucky. <laughs> I got lucky because um, I mean. I did decent in my levels. I didn't do great, of course. I mean, it was like you know, I was. I mean, I was a straight A student like up until I finished my IGCSEs, and of course, doing A level at Excel is going to be hard on anyone, and especially for someone who was like really distracted by these house politics. Because I was give some like context to this, <laughs> um, uh, I was uh, like kind of like the school captain when I was in secondary, so I had like my eyes on getting the valedictorian of the batch, but I ended up not getting it because of some internal shit. Um, uh, and also because I think uh, the the competitor that I had had like um, better academic results than me. And although that was part of the reason why I got valedictorian, it's not the only reason. So like just it was like a like a difference of like a mark or something like in one subject. So um, it was devastating for me, like personally, because I worked like 
a, a long time to get this, you know, like title of being valedictorian. So when I went into high school, I was very devastated by losing that title. So it was like a way for me to throw myself into something else by being involved in the house politics, like a lot, you know? So, um, I ended up not focusing on my studies at all and um, not at all at all, but like I did well enough to get into like, you know, like psychology, which is, I think, like a comparatively easier program to get into than medicine. I mean, I had decided that I wanted to do psychology when I was around 14. I wasn't like medicine, like my parents, like I think my mom like really did hope deep inside <laughs> that maybe I would change my mind about doing psychology and then do medicine. But like, I think she's super supportive of me to doing psychology now but back then I think she did have that in mind but anyways I didn't get good enough grades to you know <laughs> to get into medicine anyway and <laughs> the government offers um loans like uh to the people and scholarships to people who do really really well in their levels and they give loans to the subpar people kind of like me you know <laughs> yeah so I applied for a loan and um thank god I got one so I just you know, look through like the, my parents weren't okay with me traveling further than Malaysia because, you know, it's a big step since like I'm the oldest child and neither of them have had access to higher education. It was a very scary process for them. So um, I just thought that Malaysia would be a good, good idea, good a good place to travel to because it's comparatively nearer than most other uh, countries that I was, you know, like looking into. Yeah, and I ended up choosing Taylor's because the, the lecturers here in the psych, psych course was, um, I mean, they are really good. Um, some of them are really, really good. But of course, there are different, you know, different personalities. But uh, I don't regret my decision to choose this university. And I just end up being lucky because, you know, I got the funds from the government to get here. Yeah, but... Uh, you know, the side, like, you know, the strings attached to this is I'd, of course, have to go back home and work, like, at home because I have a bond to the government now, like, for seven years or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, like, my entire story about us. <laughs> so how do you, like, the Malaysian education over the Maldivian one? Like, since you, have you come to Malaysia over the last couple of years or have you been doing it online? I actually got here in 2019. So it was before COVID hit. I got here in August 2019. So I managed to get to like the actual, I got the somewhat full experience of like having one semester like on campus, you know. So uh, yeah, I think although if I try to make a comparison between like um like the university life, it wouldn't entirely be fair, you know, because I feel like uh since I didn't have the experience of studying in like the Maldivian University, I wouldn't be able to compare to the university life here. But I think from what my friends say, uh, it's generally like the type of teaching and the style of teaching is pretty much the same. It's much more lax, of course, than high school because we're older now. It's just universal experience. Uh, other than that, I think like the quality though is very, very different because Maldives is very fresh in uh like doing higher, further, edu- I mean, higher education teaching. Our university opened up and got better lectures, maybe like I think only a few years ago. So it's very baby, you know, like it's just, you know, like a fetus in the context of education, especially higher education. Yeah. So I'd say that it's been, it's been like very, very eye-opening listening to, you know, like it, like, I think even in Asia, like, you know, Malaysia is quite different in some context what I experienced in the Maldives. Yeah. No, of course, for real. And 
Lean, I think just to like circle back to like the very start and like the T, Lean. <laughs> If there's like any better way of putting it, I'd be like, I don't know. I think we all just want to know what is the T? What's going to happen next, Lean? The progression. Yeah, so so like it's basically like Taylor's kind of, I mean, I'm sure like uh, the university is doing decent in terms of, I think, I don't know if I'm fully right about this, Mara, but I think they're doing well in law. They do well in like tourism. They do well in like um, hotel management. So the QS rankings are pretty high because of these, a few courses here and there, if I if I understand it correctly. So like when they portrayed, you know, like psychology as being a super good course and like through my research as well, <laughs> I don't think it was good research anymore, guys. I really don't like my 18-year-old self for like, you know, choosing Taylor's because of this very reason I'm about, I'm about to say. So the honors course that I'm doing right now isn't actually like an honors, honors. So it's the label of honors was awarded to it because Uh, according to Taylor's, it has um, all the, you know, leeway to get you into the courses other than clinical psychology in any other country, um, uh, include, I mean, in countries other than Malaysia as well. So if you per se want to study like, I don't know, MFT or counseling psychology, you do have a reasonable chance of getting into the universities in Australia, UK or Canada, like or New Zealand or like Europe, wherever. Um, uh, But when it comes to clinical, the honors that Taylor's awarded this program is in fact like a kind of like a fake honors and just, you know, like the label is there because it got approved by the Malaysian Psychological Council here. You know, like it was approved by them. It has a stamp of integrity and everything. But the funny thing is this course, it isn't like you can't, unless you do your fourth year and pay like even more money than you've paid for this three-year degree, <laughs> you can't get into any of the clinical psych courses in Australia or like Canada or New Zealand or UK or wherever in Europe, you know, because uh, it's only like a three-year course and the entire like marketing strategy they had on like you know oh you're finishing like an honors degree in like three years was actually in fact a complete lie um so i think they've the resolution here for like the people who want to study clinical psych after they're studying tailors is that they have like only a couple of options that's number one you um do your like master's degree here in Malaysia because Malaysia is the only other country who will accept you because you did your degree here. So master's degree can also be done here. But, and the second option is you do your um, uh, bachelor of advanced research or like a postgraduate um, research year before you get into your master's, which of course not only takes away time, but is like a shitload of money uh, before you like can pursue your master's anywhere else in the world. So, you know, like my options have kind of got me trapped. <laughs> like uh, Taylor's has, um, the funny thing is they keep insisting, not just, you know, like the lecturers like know about this, but no one was ever forthcoming with this information, you know, like literally the entire batch, like not just like it's, I'm like batch number nine of this course. Uh, the other batches before us must have had, of course, an idea of what was going on. But the funny thing is this information was gatekept from like literally like everyone who did this course. Like 
we just worked our asses off trying to finish this degree just to find out that you know in fact that this was kind of like a waste of time money because I could have gone to like Monastra Sunday and like finished just the four years uh, in a whole like goal and not paid extra money and like have to invest another year in another course before I could actually do my master's so like I'm just kind of like in a phase of acceptance about it uh initially when I found it was devastating because obviously you know like one one plans to uh get you know like better education from maybe and also like like traveling to Europe and stuff it sounds like you know like that's like the dream like I mean I had my eyes set on either Australia UK and to have that crushed was very devastating I mean I don't know if I would have had the resources to actually make it there but to not have the option anymore you know it just kind of sucks and so most of my friends who've done this course most of them don't want to pursue clinical psych they because it's just too much investment for them the people who do want to do clinical psych now have to think about the choices they that they have left yeah <laughs> i was very devastated not and that's the tea like this is just it's apparently like I mean why is this not being told to the people who <laughs> actually get into the course you know they like straight up light to our faces is the only thing I can say because I mean I literally went to Taylor's to you know sign up like and like actually submit my application with my parents you know and like the people like the marketing and the goal and the audacity to say that this degree will allow me to like get into any like if I do well of course if I do have the means to get there, access good universities for my masters. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. That is honestly false advertising for one. You could argue false marketing. I, and just, they're getting off on a technicality here. I know. Yeah. But hey, at least, Lena, at least like you're sharing your experience so that other people can like do yeah, their research and sort of like avoid the same fate that you have yeah i think i, mean, I definitely have a responsibility but, you know Rish. yeah, yeah like, to tell people you, what, about this what would you say is the what would you say is like the main takeaway from this like what will you tell students thinking of like doing your course or at least like considering tailors for psychology okay, like what would you tell them to be mindful of like a tldr all right if you want to do clinical psych people don't come to Taylor's. Like, if that's like, you know, something you have in mind to pursue, don't come to, don't come to Taylor's. <laughs> that is like, like as because... blunt as it can be. It's the truth. It's just the straight up truth, guys. Like, I'm sorry, but um, Taylor's is a good, like, I mean, the closest, I wouldn't say it's the best, it's decent. Uh, it's decent. <laughs> The the lecturers try that. Okay, so you you join Taylor's, you want to like join Taylor's debaters. Every other reason, I don't think we can recommend. Yeah, honestly, no. Yeah, I think like Taylor's is a good institution, but for certain courses, you might be better off looking somewhere else. Like, actually, do your research when it comes to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think it maybe really the depends, best strategy... Like, oh, Lailene, go ahead. Um, uh, it was a very quick call. Um, uh, I think I just wanted to say that, like, I think people really consider um 
Like I, my experience of searching for unis was I felt like so all over the place. Like uh, I think I was just looking at, you know, like world rankings and you you have your eyes on, you know, like as a stupid 17 year old, I had my eyes on, of course, like the top notch, seemingly top notch places, you know, like Oxbridge, the number Harvard, one university. Denver. Yeah. Whatever it is, you know, but all of it isn't, it isn't dependent on like your specific course. It's dependent on what university does best in, you know, like, you know, whether it's like hotel management or tourism. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, what you're saying is very true because I know for there's a huge thing in, I don't know what it is because they, like, they say that Taylor's was top number one, like uh, private school, but then UCSI has also got that title stuff. I think it, I, I've, I heard from, I'm not going to disclose the name, but the way that Taylor gets his ranking is from how many, uh, uh, what do you call it, published papers they can pump out. So no, I think that's case. like every ranking as well. There's an argument that like University of Malaya yeah. or UM also like boost their rankings that's, like that's that true, way. That's true. That's true. Which 100%. is why like they're like they're like in the top hundred or maybe like top fifty in like the QS rankings, but like elsewhere you wouldn't find University of Malaya like anywhere near. The top mm, echelons yeah. of I, uh, higher I, education. I think like when I when I applied for Taylor's, I did not really look at the ranking. Honestly, when I applied, I really didn't know much about Taylor's in the sense it was more of like, where do I want to study now? Because originally I wanted to go study in the UK, but uh, and then Hong Kong, and it was just down to prices as well for my for my mum. So Malaysia was pretty much the next stop after Hong Kong because. Uh, it was closer as well. And I really wanted to get to know the country and that's primarily why I came to Hong Kong and uh, to Malaysia, sorry, to study. And it was a toss up between Fenway U and uh, Taylor's. And it, Taylor's replied first and they accepted me first. So I was just like, okay, let's go. And it wasn't, um, it was only until I got to Taylor's to really comprehend the education system and what Taylor's is like in general. But you know, it's like Taylor's has its perks. I think like with any university, they have their downsides as well. Um, you just got to do your research and it would be great for you to know somebody who has done that course that you're searching into um, before you apply. I think that's why it's great to actually know and visit the campus first um, and maybe talk to some students who do the course. Mm-hmm. I think that's like the most important. Course. Yeah, like yeah. it along with like visiting the campus that that like that we mentioned. Like the part about it's just mentioned about like talking to the people who are studying or have studied in the course. That's the most crucial thing ever because they're the people who's gonna tell you the tea that the marketing people won't tell you, and you need the tea. Like <laughs> the tea is what you need for you to make the right choice, especially if you're making like an investment into your like like. But like more than like foundational diploma, like your degree, you know, like the one you're spending yeah. the most amount of money and time. But then at the same time for me, it was like, uh, I remember a lot of people asking me, why did you go to the UK and things like that? Because I was accepted in all the uh, unis that I applied to. But <laughs> in terms of like thinking about, you know, the cost of things, um, I was just at the end of the day, a degree is a degree. Um for me, it's more about in this world, I feel like now experience holds just as much value as a degree because I feel like going to the real world with very minimal uh, experience 
even though you have a degree under your wing, it really doesn't get you that far. You need to build up that resume somehow. And I feel like wherever you get your degree from, it's just down to your experience at the end of the day uh, to actually excel in whatever you want to do, whatever field you're interested in. And nowadays, like I feel like even my mom was telling me, I mean, my mom, uh, she okay, she she comes from like a what is it? She has a master's in microbiology. Yet she she works in retail. Like she was saying to me, like you can't be guaranteed that you'll be working in the same field that you actually studied for. So what's the point in investing so much money into a university where you could be in debt? You're you know getting student loans things like that just re- just do your research find one that suits your needs for that time being there's no point of spending oodles of money on a piece of paper i mean I, i'm pretty sure that some people will have disagreements with that opinion but to me that's that's how i think of it no of course i think that's like honestly very valid i think like it just depends on like what you value do you value like the degree more or do you think like the name of the institution you go to is like really important i mean like i can, i think mm. i tend to agree with what you say like experience is honestly really important because like yeah degree can open doors but you do need your experience in order to progress and like actually do well in the job you're doing and i guess like two yeah, things like, like I can, I know. oh yeah sorry lily go ahead no 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 you continue, continue. oh i was just go saying ahead. like i think two things i could add to that is like at least like in like overseas institutions or like i find it like does the institution subreddit is like a very good place to like sort of like find the tea at the very least because you would find students yeah. there just <laughs> complaining about how terrible things yeah. are and you can like make that assessment for yourself and like the second thing is like at like the way i like to see it is like i think you can't really go wrong if you're like starting to plan out your whole like education roadmap from the very start and i think i i understand that's like not something that everyone does because like you know you're 17, 18, all you want to do is just like go to college and you're not really thinking of like the future in that sense. But like, it does help to think like, okay, so this is what I'm going to do for my bachelor's. Where do I see myself going after that? And then you start looking into like, at least like some preliminary research into where you want to go next. And then you think about like, okay, will this, will this degree get accepted? Like in like the uni I want to go to, or like, is this going to help me in career, in my career in that sense? And then I guess it sort of makes you Maybe you feel more secure in your decision. At least you don't have to worry about that aspect later on. Yeah. I don't know if this was for you guys, but what was really helpful in my school, we actually had this extra class called careers. And it's basically just where you, where the teacher would help you apply for um, uni. Because the majority of the people in my uh, school wanted to go to the UK university. So we had a whole walkthrough uh on UCAS, we all had our own logins, which is provided by the school. There was so much, like, they taught us how to write cover letters, resumes, everything that you needed. And they really helped you prepare for whatever you needed for um, university because they would actually implement that in GCSEs. So if, let's say, you wanted to do medicine, okay, I just didn't think medicine, uh, it's more of a general subject that people are familiar with. Um, I remember, like, some people, they chose these specific subjects to do an IB, but the careers teacher would be like, you realize that those are not suitable for the course that you want to apply for, you know? And so with that class, we were actually given the heads up as to 
you know, the teacher would help us actually research into specific universities and give us uh, points to look at specifically. Like, even if the name of the university was huge, uh, you'd have to look at the course individually and should really help you break down, like, what what part of the course, uh, no, what part of um, the course you want to study for intrigues you the most. Like, if you apply just, just because you want to apply for Oxford for this specific course, but half of the curriculum is about stuff that you are really not interested in versus another university that's a bit more lower ranking in that sense, uh, but it covers more things onto your uh, top of it, topic of interest. That's where the teacher would come in and help you and say that I would suggest you go for the latter because that's more suitable towards what you want to do. So I feel like a lot of education systems actually need to implement a class like that to help. Because uh, like, I, I remember when I was 17, 16, 17, when I was thinking about this, I was like, I had no clue. I was so lost. I was like, I just want to go to uni, man. I just want to get a degree. But I don't know what. I don't know how. I don't know where to start even. So I feel like I don't think they have it here. What What about you guys? Did you have something like that for in or Orleans? um honestly I'm very sure we didn't like there were some small programs here and there like I remember in primary school we had a program where they wanted to teach us like financial literacy but like all they did was give us like finance journals and left it at that so yeah that's like very minimal effort by the Malaysian oh, government like, to actually teach through. those skills yeah exactly and like even in high school there was really not much of that at all what about Germany yeah, we, we also didn't have much. We have one day where we go to, to like a government facility and we take a test and people tell us about what apprenticeships we could learn or if we want to go to university. I was never so much about university. Like we only had that in 10th grade about apprenticeships where you take a test depending on what you like and what you don't like. And then they say, ah, oh, yeah, I don't know. Gardening would be a good apprenticeship for you. And that's it. That's the whole thing. It's just like a digital test and people talking about, yeah, apprenticeships are very good because like we have, we have a big problem with not having enough normal or like essential workers in a sense. So that's why they had this day talking, telling us about apprenticeships. But when it came to university, none of us really knew what to do. Here, like Malaysian counselors, at, at most they'll just like, when it comes to post-high school um, education plans, they would just advise you to, uh, to like to go for the most affordable, fastest route. And I think that like is a reflection of our economy and the quality of life in Malaysia. I think that's a misconception that a lot of students take as an easy way out they don't really put into effort like, oh, they, uh, for example, they want to take law because law sounds like, oh, it's very, it's um, a job that holds, you know, you get a lot of money out of it. But at the same time, how much work do you have to put into becoming a very, very successful lawyer to earn, I don't know, six figures, let's say. Um, a lot of students, don't actually take the time to research into the field they think they're interested in. Uh, because even for me, like when I left high school, I wanted to study environmental sciences and all my unit offers were regarding that. And after taking a few months off uh, in Singapore working, I was just like, 
yeah, that's not my jam anymore. And I remember being interested in computer science because that's the way the world was going into. And that's why I took it because it was more, it was also a uh, passion, but it was also more of like, that's the future of the world. You know, that's something that is useful for me and the world. So I was, you know, things like that. It's just like that research is needed for students to actually pursue a better higher education. Uh, because a lot, especially I think, uh, I don't, I, I don't want to be uh, generalizing it or stereotyping uh, it, but I feel like uh, in Malaysia as well, students have a lot of pressure to go into some sort of field like medicine or engineering or something like that because of their parents, not because of what they want to do. And that's when you start to see there's a lot of competition as well. There's a a lot of competition where you can't really get jobs in the field that you studied for. So students will end up just wasting a couple of years of their degree doing something firstly that they didn't want. And then secondly, doing something that they can't actually work in because the competition is so high. So I feel like the education system needs to be updated in a sense where students can, students are encouraged to do what they want with their lives and, obviously emphasize on university on higher on tertiary education but at the same time it should be down to the student choices to what they study where they want to study um and they've got to do the research into it i feel like that's a privilege i had in my school and between my parents because my parents really never enforced that on me i remember my mom talking to my late grandmother uh my grandmother was saying so is she doing medicine law engineering my mom's like neither you know, she wants to do her own thing. And my grandmother had a whole uh, argument with it with my mom. And my mom's like, I'm not going to force my kid into doing something that she doesn't want to do because she's not going to, she's going to end up wasting my money in terms of like, she will probably follow it through, but she's going to hate what she's studying and things like that. So I feel like it's not just the education system that needs to be updated, but parents' mindset, especially mm. in Malaysia. From what I can see. Oh no, 100%. Um, but that's, but that's like, yeah. but that's like easier said than done. Or at the very least, until yeah, like the, our current generation grows up and has kids and then the cycle continues, that at least like we can stop the, we can like put a stop to the narrative that like parents of like a, a previous, a previous time had that their kids only had to do specific careers and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I feel like our generation is like quite turning point in terms of what we've been through and what we want to change. Because like, I think we, I mean, even here, we have a lot of, you know, different opinions, but we always share the same mentality. We don't really want to enforce, because we've been through it. We've been through that. Not really, I can say, per se, me, um, but I know some of you are probably, like, more pressurized into your grades, and I don't think you want to carry that on to your future generations in that sense, because of what you had to go through. Just True. to satisfy your parents and your family um, and to protect your family's image in that sense. I think, right, one other perspective we have to consider is like, okay, beyond the mindset of um, you know, you got it, you're stick you're stuck with like lawyer, doctor, or or engineer. Um, there's also like the issue in Malaysia of 
plain ignorance because um especially in the rural areas i think all of us here we were like we lived up we were raised or we lived in like very urban areas so we're in an urban bubble like what well, we have the privilege of knowing exactly what degrees are out there what what universities are good but like a lot of kids in like rural areas i know they just don't know what to do or where to go and like because of this there's there's room for a predatory industry for like tertiary education to grow like you'd have all these like um educational fairs and stuff and even these very shady universities that will like reach out to all these like uh rural poor people and be like hey this degree is good this and that and they they don't know any better and this is like a real life thing because it's my mom my mom has had to deal with this way like people we know from like way back um her hometown that they'll come to me like hey is this legit and stuff it should go she looked through all the contracts and everything and it's like no this is really really stuff they just want your money and oftentimes these kids like they come out of these so-called colleges with uh diplomas and degrees that aren't accredited at all and can't be used and by then they have spent like thousands of ringgit already oh, yeah. and like education fairs in general in malaysia are also super super like it's it's a very predatory industry like look at taylor's what they did to lead uh, the, this whole like marketing gimmicks and stuff just to get more students more money out of everybody it's it's so crazy to me the education system globally it's a money-making industry it's a money-making industry you know you look at universities your rankings that's just all about money right now it's just like pitting universities against one another saying no my school is better than yours no your school is like worse off in this area and stuff like that and it's just like students are confused you know like they parents can't afford you know the most expensive schools which obviously is portrayed all around the world we know that oxford we know the ivy league schools we know cambridge and all that but what about all the other universities that are just worth as much? It's just because like the money's there, you know, like it, education should not be a money-making industry. Well, it should not be focusing on the money uh, industry, you know, especially with the scholarships about being unfair, um, you know, giving it to, priv- uh, giving it to, yeah, giving it to kids who are already privileged, but if they've got the grades to uh, get that scholarship, then why not? They should have that chance as well. But when it comes oh, to yes. race, it comes to the That's culture true. and things like that. that should not should not be a factor in, in to determine who gets the scholarship and not yeah you know. I think before we like wrap this topic up there's one thing like this okay this is like 100% what what is happening in America like the whole issue of it being super predatory it's government sanctioned and on top of that like the whole people who are already privileged getting all these spots look at like legacy applications um to oxford to sorry it's oxford like all all those like ivy league universities like the acceptance rate for those you um applicants are 30 percent compared to the general admission rate of six percent for everyone else it's so crazy yeah can confirm either if like you're a legacy or if like your parents donated a significant chunk to the university and that's it's not like they don't say it's a guarantee but like you know they do get admitted. America is a simulation. <laughs> oh no, literally. I, I love I love life. It just I feel it doesn't feel real sometimes when I wake up. <laughs> I'm kidding, but like it does it does give up that vibe. It that vibe sometimes. You just basically have to look at all the celebrities that have paid off university to get their kids into that uni, uh, being on the rowing team like Laurie Laughlin, getting her daughter in. I'm just like, excuse me. You know, there are 
hundreds of kids fighting for that spot and all you did was just a pick summer money that's the Laurie Laughlin case extends to not just legacy applications but faking your college applications yeah. that's a whole new podcast episode I think yeah it's one that we'll definitely like try to cover in future episode because I have a Jeez. lot to say about college applications I'm spending hours and days and nights on mine and I get to my most experience it's a corrupted system because it's all about money making you know, it, that's, that's what makes it worse. It's supposed to be about teaching. It's supposed to be about hiring the best lectures you can get out there. I mean, like, you've got some of these lecturers in Taylor's who have years of experience, okay? Years of experience, but they cannot teach for shit. That's a damning indictment. What's the point of them being a lecturer if you cannot teach what you know? It's great that you have all this experience, but please lay it down and explain it to us. I mean, like if they, if it like if it like serves to explain it, I guess like one explanation I can think of off the top of my head is that like you said that earlier rankings are mostly determined by the amount of papers you published. That's probably the reason why those professors are there because they can contribute to that. They just yeah. can't teach. It's no longer about teaching. It's getting as much money as you can, boost up the uh, boost up the university name and get more fame for it you know like that that's all it is education it's a corrupt system globally no matter where you are it's just a money-making machine that's it and it does not benefit sometimes it doesn't even benefit the teachers doesn't benefit the students sometimes just benefits the institution so i think like at least for me like to sum up i guess the main takeaway of this that we all the main takeaways that we all agree with one i think education should be free i think that's Mm -hmm. like we've seen the benefits of it like we've listened like Peran talk about Germany and how that's like a great system. And then also kids just need to be more informed, at least like governments and like systems need to do more to ensure that like kids actually know what they're getting into. I think that's also really important. I feel like the kids need to be held responsible as well for what they want to study and where they want to study. I mean, that's true, but like you do need to give them ample resources. You need to like make sure they know what they're getting into because after all they're kids, what do kids know? Right. I think the only thing that I could take away from this, no matter like the different education systems we've been through, we all went through basically the same shit. There's a universal sort of thing to education, but it's so vast and so different at the same time. All right. And with that being said, thank you all so much for listening to this episode of the Tondal to the podcast. If you like this kind of informative content, do us a like on Instagram, do follow us on Spotify, and we hope to see you in the next episode. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening.